Sunday ago, we studied Exodus chapter 3, and we were reminded of God's promise to deliver the Israelites, in particular to deliver them out of slavery in Egypt. Well, here we've jumped a bit to Exodus chapter 14, Following a lengthy negotiation between Moses and Pharaoh, we see this promise of deliverance finally coming to fruition. And if we trace God's dealings with Moses, you'll see that these dealings are extraordinary at every stage. From a burning bush that doesn't get consumed, to a walking stick that can turn into a snake to a series of dreadful plagues designed by God to compel Pharaoh to release the Israelites from captivity. So there is nothing subtle about the saving measures that God employs, and this pattern continues as the Israelites are told to encamp near the Red Sea. So if you're thinking about this in terms of a military strategy, this is dreadful advice. Go and hang out near the sea so that when the army comes at you, you'll have no place to go. It'll just be the sea on the one side and the opposition army on the other side. But this is a setup. It's a setup for more extraordinary measures. Why does God work in this fashion? Why, why doesn't he just have them organize themselves more strategically as an army? Why the extraordinary measures? I think the answer is a simple one. When God employs extraordinary measures, it is to maximize his glory. This is important. Hopefully we'll see this if we haven't already in our own life. God employs extraordinary measures in order to maximize His glory. Well, let me frame that another way. If we could logically account for everything that happens, we might be tempted to leave God out of the equation. For instance, if I am unwell and a doctor prescribes me medication and I get well, then whom am I going to give the glory and the credit to? Well, the doctor who prescribed it, I might give the glory to the medicine that fixed me. But by using extraordinary means, God makes clear whom deserves the glory. And God leaves no doubt about how the Israelites will gain their freedom. He wants all of the surrounding nations to know that Yahweh, the Lord, is mighty to save. Have a look at Exodus 14, if you will, verse 4. The Lord says to Moses, this is his motivation, I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. You see God's concern for His name, His concern for His own glory. Well, didn't He care about the suffering of the Israelites? Didn't He care that they were slaves in Egypt? Of course He did. And He conveyed that already to Moses in that first interaction they had. But God also has a passion for the glory of His name. 
We see this as God speaks through the prophet Isaiah. The Lord says, how can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. You see, the liberation of the Israelites by extraordinary measures means to demonstrate to the surrounding nations that Yahweh alone is God. There are so many other religions in the world. That's true today, and it was true in ancient days. And so here the Lord was posturing Himself as the only true God by using these extraordinary lessons, by these extraordinary means. But there are lessons to be learned for the Israelites. The Israelites will have their faith in God's promises tested. And on this level, this passage becomes relevant for many of us. The Israelites were hemmed in. The Red Sea on the one side and a marching opposition army on the other side. Now some of you know what it's like to be hemmed in by challenging circumstances. You know what it's like to be hemmed in by individuals who wish you harm. Some of you know what it is like to be confronted by a seemingly insurmountable obstacle. And when your predicament is dire, you want the assurance that God is with you. When your situation is desperate, you want to be reminded that the God you come to worship is indeed mighty to save. Not just mighty to save in general, but He's mighty to save you. Isn't that the longing of all our hearts? And we come here on Sunday morning to worship not a God who is in the distance... But worship a God that we're told cares about my situation and your situation. And He cares that you're hemmed in. He cares that there's an obstacle before you which is huge. The Israelites needed these reassurances. Because when they saw that Egyptian army marching towards them, their faith in God's promises wavered. And it wavered a lot. Listen again to the question they asked Moses cynically. Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us out here to die in the desert? They're saying, Moses, why have you done this? This was a huge mistake. Well, the predicament for Moses and the Israelites was dire. And unfortunately, the desperate nature of their predicament did not spur them on to God. It did not spur them on to trust God, but instead it drove them to complaining. So what about us? How do you respond when adversity strikes? Because I see two clear directions that are opposite. Adversity strikes you. Do you cry out against God? Do you complain against Him? Do you question His wisdom? Or does trials and tribulations drive you to the throne of grace where you seek the favor of God and you trust in His goodness? I want us to see how Moses led the Israelites through this desperate predicament. 
Because I see in this passage a template for us when we're hemmed in. A template for us when the challenges before us are huge. It's a simple template, right out of the text. First, we have Moses declaring that there's something to be done. There's something to be done. Secondly, we have Moses saying there's something to be seen. There's something to be watched. And thirdly, there's a way to respond to what we have seen. First, what is to be done? And it's a surprising thing. Responding to the desperate cries of the Israelites, Moses says to them, don't be afraid. The Lord will fight for you. You need to only be still. Be still. That's an unusual instruction to give when your army is being marched against by a bigger army. That wouldn't come naturally to me in terms of the, the kind of advice I might give. Oh, just stay there. Don't move. Be still. This is counterintuitive counsel. Because if you're at all like me, when troubles come, you're, you become a troubleshooter. When challenges come, you try to overcome those challenges. You try to circumvent problems. You try to solve the challenges. But Moses doesn't say any of this. He says, just stay put. Stand firm. Be still. Don't do anything. Well, how is this going to work? Why must we be still in the presence of God? Because when we are still we will be able to more clearly see what the Lord is doing. When we are still in the presence of the Lord, we are more able to clearly see what the Lord is going to do. Moses says to them, verse 13, Stand firm. Why? Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The reason they're to do nothing is because God is going to do something. Be still so that you will see the deliverance of the Lord. Again, I, maybe you're not at all like me and this doesn't describe you, but when problems come my way, I want to use every resource at my disposal to get out of that problem. When I'm under stress and duress, I want out. I'm looking for the back door. And I will use all the resources I can to get that exit. And I suspect the more resources you have, the more tempted you'll be to solve your own problems. But this isn't what Moses wants the Israelites to do. And I'm not suggesting that you just be passive the entire time. Nor does Moses suggest that we remain idle long term, but it appears that we begin by being still in God's presence. We start by being still in the presence of God. It doesn't mean we do nothing indefinitely, but we do nothing out of the gate because we're waiting for one who is greater than we are. Waiting for one who is more powerful than we are. We begin by standing still in order that we may more clearly see God exercising His power on our behalf. 
Well, what did the Israelites see? What did they see? Well, they saw the unthinkable. They saw the waters of the Red Sea stand upright and contrary to nature. They saw the unthinkable. They saw the effects of a strong eastern wind blowing all night long so that the waters formed walls on either side of dry land. Can you imagine this? It shouldn't be hard for us. We live near the sea. Every day we, we drive by a massive ocean. Can you imagine one day you're driving along and you look out and you see a wall of ocean on one side, dry land and a wall of ocean on the other side. You stop your car. This is incredible. This does not happen. This is not, this story is not low tide. You know, there are liberal scholars out there seeking to diminish much of what the Bible says. And, and there are two ridiculous uh, arguments. One, that Moses led them across the Red Sea during low tide. And so it wasn't really dry. It was just really low in the ground. And, and then liberal scholars say, similarly, Jesus didn't really walk on water. Again, it was a low tide. So, this is not low tide. There's a wall of sea, dry land, and a wall of sea. Jesus did not walk across water at low tide because Peter sank in that water and needed to be helped out. God uses extraordinary means in order to maximize His glory. He uses things that are contrary to nature because He's in control of nature. It was important for the Israelites to be still. Because they needed to fully appreciate what God was doing on their behalf. I want to ask you this morning. What might you see if you were to wait upon the Lord? What might you see were you to be still in His presence? Now I'm not suggesting that the cloud of pillar will, will show up in your living room. I'm not suggesting that the Atlantic Ocean will indeed part for you. These things may not literally come to pass for you and for me. But I do expect that if you wait upon the Lord, you will detect His kind providence in your life. Those times when I, I am still in the presence of the Lord. Those times where I say, Lord, show me what I'm to do. Show me what's going on here. I detect His kind and powerful providences in my life. And I could list them for you, but I'm not. If you can make yourself still in His presence, God will show you that He has everything under control. That everything remains according to His plan. But first, we must wait upon the Lord. Second, we, we must see, we must be watchful, we must be on the lookout for what the Lord is doing. Because we might miss it. Thirdly, there's a time to respond to what we've seen. 
Remember, we said we don't stay idle, we begin idle. We begin idle. We're watchful. We're on the lookout. Then when we see God do some things, there's a way for us to respond. When we have waited upon the Lord, when we've seen Him respond to our need, then it's time to move forward in faith. Look at verse 15. God eventually says to Moses, well, tell the Israelites to get going. Tell them to move along. So the Israelites move along and they cross the Red Sea on dry ground. Now, it doesn't end nearly as well for the Egyptians. It's quite gruesome if you think it through. The Egyptians give pursuit. They've got the wall of water on either side. And then Moses waves his arm. And then down goes the waters on top of the Egyptians. Not one of them is left. I know it's, it's, it's gruesome. But this again points to the judgment of God. The holiness of God. But also the promises to deliver his people. But what I want you to see there is that the Israelites eventually moved forward. They eventually did something. So the question is, in what respect does God want you to move forward? In what respects does God want me to move forward? Now, before we get into specifics, I believe that Scripture points to a way in which we all must move forward. Our first movement forward must always be to the cross of Jesus Christ. This is the first move forward. We must move forward to the cross of Jesus Christ. You may remember Jesus says to prospective disciples, He says, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. We begin our journey at the cross of Christ, and we follow Him. Before we can succeed at anything that has eternal significance, we must first be connected to Christ. If we're not connected to Christ, everything we put our hands to will be in vain. It'll be temporary. It won't last. It'll wear out. But Jesus makes this clear when he says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will what? Bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. Part of me wishes that verse says, apart from me you will struggle to succeed. Apart from me you will have a limit to how high your achievements will reach. But it says, apart from me you can do nothing. Unless Christ goes before us, unless Christ leads us, our moving forward will be in vain. The second manner in which we move forward is we are to move forward into this world. We are to move forward into this world. Once we've made our move toward Jesus, once we've become connected to Him, it's then necessary to move forward and to engage in His mission to the world. Do you remember the very last words that Jesus spoke to His followers? He said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Therefore, go 
and make disciples of all the nations. In other words, go forward. Jesus is, is, is risen from the dead. He's about to ascend to the Father in heaven. And his parting words are a lot like Moses' words. Get going. Go into the nations. Teach them about me. That second movement forward is a corporate call. As individuals, we can move toward Jesus, can't we? But this call to go into this world, if we're to be most effective, we need to move forward into this world together as a group. That's what the Israelites did in Moses' day. If there were any dissenters when Moses told them to get across the Red Sea, we don't read about any of them. It appears that all the Israelites went forward that day, and as a result, all of Israel was delivered. Again, I want you to picture the situation with me. So the strong east winds are blowing all night. There's a high wall on the one side, dry land, and a high wall of water on the other side. Now, I I guess God could have kept that going indefinitely. But as I read the text, I can't help but sense urgency. I can't help but sense urgency that when God says, get going, move forward, it's because he's not going to leave the the, the sea parted forever. And so with the sea not being parted forever, there's an urgency for them to get across, to move forward, or they're going to be in big trouble. And I wish I could recreate this kind of urgency as I think about the church's mission in our world. I wish I could create, in this context of worship, a sense of urgency that we need to make a huge difference for Christ in this country. And yet I suspect that it's God's kindness and patience with us that makes this window of opportunity wider for us than it was for the Israelites in Moses' day. What do I mean by that? If you have not yet come to Christ, if you have not yet committed your life to Jesus Christ, it's possible that you may have many, many more opportunities to choose this. You may have many opportunities in the future to still choose Christ. But it's also possible that this is it. It's also possible that you're hearing the call to come to Jesus this morning in a way that you won't ever hear it again. We don't know what tomorrow brings. We don't know if we'll live to see another day. We assume as much, but it's not promised. The call to Christ needs to be heeded today. It's conceivable that this is the day that God has marked for you to move forward toward Him, towards the cross of Christ, and to follow Him as Lord of your life. Now it's likely that many in this room have already made that decision. It's likely that many in this room have already made a choice to connect themselves to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. But it's possible that those who have connected themselves to Christ 
have forgotten about the orders to go into this world. Somehow we become satisfied in being a part of this community on the inside of these walls that we've lost our sense of urgency to go beyond our walls and to serve others in Jesus' name. So for those that this description is true, you're connected to Christ, but you're not marching forward into His world. I urge you again to renew your commitment to go forward in Jesus' name. I believe, and and I don't think I was quite aware of this when I moved here four and a bit years ago. I don't think I had a full appreciation for just how strategic our position in this community and this country is. We are in the capital, we are downtown in the capital city of our country. And to our south is a community that desperately needs us. This is not a big island. This island needs the influence of Jesus Christ. And I realize I'm still a newcomer. I don't know at what point I shed that. Is it after 5 years, 10 years, 20 years? And I don't want to sound uncharitable with this. I don't see a lot of churches in the Bahamas moving forward into their communities. I don't see a lot of churches moving forward and engaging in the mission of Christ to this world. I hear a lot of churches talking. I hear a lot of churches declaring what we're against. And yes, we're against some things. But why is that the first thing anyone sees or hears? Why are we so quick to say what we're against? Where's the movement toward what we're for? Where's the movement toward what we're in favor in? What we believe in? What Christ died for? Where's the forward movement? Jesus says, go forward. Go into the nations of this world. Teach them about me. This may be a really dramatic way to put this, but I feel it. I feel as though St. Andrew's Kirk is a lot like the Israelites in Moses' day. And the obstacle before us is all the social ills of this country. All the social ills of this country. And I feel as if the Lord is parting the sea for us. As a way, as an opportunity to march into those troubles and to make a profound difference in this country. I don't know that the sea is parting for many or any other churches. I'd like to think it is. But what do I genuinely genuinely see? I see the Lord creating an opportunity for us. And with that opportunity, there goes a question. And I want to leave you with this question to pray about, to think about, and then to act on. 
If the Lord is parting for us a sea of opportunity through which we can move forward and do ministry and transform this country, then the one question I need to leave with you this morning is this. Will you go forward with us? Will you join us? Will you connect yourself to Jesus and will you go forward? In His powerful name. Amen.